you're listening to Health Affairs This Week, a weekly conversation with health affairs editors about the latest and most interesting developments in health and health policy. I'm Rob Lott, and I'm excited in just a moment to introduce our special guest for this episode. But before I do, to provide some context for our discussion today, I have a confession to make. Our regular listeners know me and my colleagues on this podcast as health policy wonks, above all else. We are editors at Health Affairs, of course. But what you may not know is that I have another policy obsession. Don't tell Alan Weil, but there is another topic whose research and debates and policy negotiations are just really fascinating to me. And that topic is housing policy. Yes, that's true, friends. It's always been just a hobby for the most part. But then imagine my delight when a few years ago, Health Affairs shifted the focus of its long-running series of health policy briefs to focus on topics outside of traditional health services research, to broaden our focus on social determinants, and to make connections between healthcare and other fields that typically haven't been examined through the lens of health. And that's why you've recently seen briefs on early childhood education and the earned income tax credit, transportation, for example, and yes, of course, housing. And so now uh, the latest brief along those lines came out just a few weeks ago, and it looks at the relationship between zoning policy and health. And I'm delighted to welcome the author of that brief to join us here today, Michael Lenz, Associate Professor of Urban Planning and Public Policy and Associate Faculty Director of the Lewis Center for Regional Policy Studies at the Luskin School of Public Affairs at UCLA. Welcome, Dr. Lenz. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rob. It's great to be here. Well, so when health policy researchers and more generally those in healthcare uh, think about housing, it's almost always as uh, one of many social determinants of health. This is a theme you've seen a lot appearing in the pages of health affairs lately from researchers. Uh, but since we're lucky here to have a bona fide housing policy expert, I thought I'd start by asking, how do you think about health in your work? You know, I think about health, you know, probably most commonly as, as, as a layperson does, you know, thinking about the incredible health disparities in this country and, and you know, kind of thinking about what, what can we do about that? Obviously, like a lot of the conversation in that area is about health insurance and, and federal health policy. But you know, more specific to, to my work as somebody who does research on housing and teaches in urban planning and thinks about issues like segregation and, and kind of spatial inequality. You know, certainly I, I think about how the, how those health disparities operate across space in, in, you know, particularly in metropolitan areas. You know, you can look at any map of, of any major metropolitan area in the United States where I do most of my research. You, you can look at incidents of, you know, coronary heart disease, of, you know, diabetes and mortality rates in terms of like age of death. Those things look incredibly different across space, right? And so, you know, as somebody who thinks about how different people are sorted across space, about how different opportunities are sorted across space, how access to, you know, various good things and not so good things are are sorted across space. Like that's kind of how things 
most obviously map onto my work and 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 how I think about research and policy in in urban planning, especially. Let's talk about zoning. Um, I think when most of our listeners think about zoning, it's sort of the rules that determine what kind of building and how big the building is you can build in any given space. Um, But the title of uh, your brief is Low Density Zoning, Health and Health Equity. And uh, that's got my attention. So let's start with the first one. What do you mean by low density zoning? We're talking specifically about residential space, right? And and how many, you know, usually it's kind of how many units of housing can be built in a given area. You know, we do this kind of parcel by parcel in, in cities. You know, a, a kind of funny feature of, of American cities, especially, is that we dedicate huge amounts of residential space to um only single family housing. What we do is we mandate that only a single family home can be built on, you know, many, many, many parcels of land in our residential space. You know, I'm not somebody who can, you know, speak, you know, fully negatively against a single family home. Right now I'm living in the UK in a flat, but normally I live in the United States, in Los Angeles, in a single family home, you know, that I was fortunate to purchase. It's across a, it's it's in a residential zone where only single family homes can be built, right? And so when we talk about low density zoning, the most obvious thing is how we mandate that particular structures be built on those parcels, right? Um, there's other ways that we we kind of reduce the density in places or kind of cap the density of, of residential spaces, you know, but the kind of the single family home and the ubiquity of the single family home is the most general and obvious way that we do this. and. A lot of times it aligns with people's preferences in, in cities, and a lot of times it doesn't. And that excludes the people who don't want single-family housing or, you know, more directly to my work, they can't afford single-family housing, particularly in places that are in high demand. Okay, so that makes sense. But maybe draw, say a little more about the connection between zoning and how that affects affordability or... Uh, to take it one step further, the demographics in a given neighborhood or region. You know, getting more to the point, low density, um, you know, is is you know at it, at its essence, is restricting the number of of housing units you can have in a place. And anything you restrict, that you know, you make more scarce. You make it more expensive, right? If you if you hold demand constant, and you know if you if you say that like a certain number of people want to live in this place, and but we're we're only going to build we're going to build even fewer units, then we have a scarcity, right? And and anything that is scarce is is more expensive. You know, there's just not enough housing units to go around in a lot of places. And this is you know kind of you know dorky economic theory, but there's you know, also, you know, quite a lot of research that, you know, kind of connects the dots in, you know, statistically looking at these connections between regulations that limit the number of housing units that can be built in a city or in a neighborhood and the cost of housing in those places. So then I think you have kind of two different pathways towards exclusion or segregation by race and income. One pathway 
is that you know you've made uh, housing more expensive for everybody because it's more scarce. That obviously um, you know kind of directly blocks out people who have lower incomes, and then by extension of the fact that racial minorities have lower incomes on average, you're more likely to be blocking out people who are also not you know non-whites in the United States. The other pathway towards racial racial and economic segregation is, say, some people of lower incomes can only afford an apartment in a higher income city. You know, if you want to live in um, Washington, D.C., if you want to live in San Francisco, you want to live in um, Los Angeles, you can only afford, you know, say, a modest two bedroom apartment. Well, if you don't build any apartments then you're excluding those people who can only afford apartments. So there's kind of two different um, pathways in which, you know, those types of low density zoning policies are likely to exacerbate segregation. And, you know, each of them are kind of intertwined with housing affordability. So let's go one step further now. And your the brief is about health or obviously the the sort of potential connections there. So where where's the pathway take us from these questions about affordability and and potentially segregation, what's the connection between that and health? What do we know and what do we sort of suspect is going on here? You know, I think, you know, I have to, you know, draw on, you know, the you know voluminous literature on neighborhood determin- determinants of health or the kind of interplay between segregation and, and health to, you know, to kind of connect the, the dots there, right? Where if if low density zoning, you know, exacerbates segregation, and if segregation is at least one factor in a lot of the inequitable health outcomes that we see, then by extension, you know, there's it's it, you can kind of you know connect that path right all the way from low density zoning to health equity. That's kind of the most probably well studied area, right, where we have a lot of research that you know shows that you know, living in particular neighborhoods are more disadvantageous to your health than others. That can be co- that can be because of like obvious environmental toxins that are disproportionately in low income places. It can be because of quote unquote food deserts. It can be because there's not, you know, great access to healthcare. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, at the end of the day, living in, you know, areas of concentrated poverty tend to be at least very strongly correlated with lower health. There's also the connections between housing affordability and health, right? When you are really, really struggling to um, pay for pay for housing. And in 2021, in a lot of U.S. cities, there are people who are spending, you know, 50 percent, 60 percent, 70 percent of their income on rent. Right. And, you know, they're in you know partic- particularly high poverty situations or even you know, reasonably poverty, impoverished situations. And they're de- dedicating so much of their income on rent. Their housing situations are unstable or precarious. They've got a lot of stress that, you know, there's a lot of pathways where we don't really have a great deal of research, I wouldn't say, to, you know, conclude. But you can see where any sort of resource deprivation like that is likely to exacerbate health issues and, you know, issues like homelessness or, you know, being evicted, I think, are probably more obviously connected to to health, um, negative health outcomes. 
maybe as we wrap up, um, you could say just a little bit about sort of where the policy landscape is in the face of some of these questions. Are there uh, policymakers trying to address this challenge? Um, and what, if any, evidence have we seen about the effect of those interventions? Yeah, I think there's, I think we're in the midst of a pendulum shift in some in some ways. I don't know how fast it's shifting towards more attention and support for, um, you know, kind of liberalizing uh, regulatory regulatory policy in housing. And you know, liberalizing might might be a little bit of a loaded term because it's because <laughs> you know the ideological camps are not quite that simple, but. What I what I would mean is, you know, making it easier to build, you know, more multifamily housing in more places. I think that is something that has a lot of attention in a lot of states right now. Um, you know, California, where I normally reside, you know, just recently passed a bill making it a lot easier to split uh, single family homes into duplexes, kind of in some ways doing away with single families that need in California, you know, Minneapolis, um, you know, you know, somewhat uh, famously uh, did away with it, Oregon. So there is a lot of attention to this right now. I think, you know, it's a very, it's an uphill battle politically. It's kind of the first step is for, for states to really pay attention to what localities do to exclude people and exclude housing from um, their jurisdictions. And there's a lot of momentum, you know, but like there's a lot of entrenched interests um, against it. And so it's going to take some time. Great. Well, I'm so glad we were able to uh, put out a brief on this topic sort of at this critical moment where we're seeing a lot of um, shifting and, and a lot of momentum, as you as you say. So thank you for uh, for your contribution uh, in that way to the debate as well and for your work with uh, with health affairs. That's probably a good place to wrap things up. Um, Dr. Lenz, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thank you, Rob, for, for the invitation to write and to speak about it. It's been fun. Folks, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, subscribe or recommend it to a friend and tune in next week. Take care. <laughs>